Hello, this is the Exiting Your Echo Chamber podcast where we learn how to be in the world but not of the world. We also try to understand how we can navigate the various worldviews that are available so that you would give the reason for the faith that we have. Shall we have a word of prayer as we begin our tonight's discussion? Father, we thank you and we bless your holy name for taking us through this series of conversations where we open our hearts to things that are not welcome in our circles, things that seem complex, things that seem tough on our minds, and trusting your spirit to continually give us insight, to continually give us understanding in the things that you are discussing. We ask that even as we speak, Father, Lord Almighty, may we also receive of you, not necessarily speaking to people or discussing for the sake of it, out of this deep understanding and we'll take from the deep wells within our hearts in the mighty name of Jesus. Be with us today as you've been with us in times past. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. All right. Yeah, so today is, so today is another glorious day. And, uh, today we are going to discuss truth, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, for some time now, I mean, for like a, a significant period of time, I've been trying to wrap my head around this whole thing about truth, and um, that's that, that was one of the main reasons for um, even starting this conversation in the first place. Because at the end of the day, um, I think we can all agree that when someone is telling a lie, we we always would want to point out to them that this thing that you are saying is not true, right? And mm. it's always a lie. And in our, the way things have become a little complex, um, one time, I think I, I listened to Bill Gates. So there's this channel on YouTube called Veritasium, right? I think the guy interviewed um, Bill Gates. And I, I kind of pay particular attention to words. So instead of Bill Gates saying something is a lie, he said <laughs> untruth. Like some, he used the word if if I'm getting it correctly. He didn't say it's false or it's a lie, but he says it's untruth. I was mm. like, okay, interesting time. So it's very difficult for um, people to even point out that something is a lie, right? And something is false. They would rather um, say untruth. Possib- probably this that the use of the word is very welcoming. I mean more than saying that something is a lie. And by way of introduction to, we've also have come across ideas such as my truth, my truth. What is true for me is not true for you. And when someone, I mean, if we're in a discussion, right, and someone pulls out this card, it sounds like a Trump card already, because I mean, after all the deliberations, uh, so let's say, after all the back and forth, and the person is like, okay, I understand you perfectly, but what you are saying is your truth, and I also have my truth. So if you're in a conversation, what would be your next move? <laughs> would you even have anything to say? So these are some of the things that I think we have, we have faced in the culture, and, or let's say the public and uh, the marketplace of ideas. So just so by way of, I mean, everyone would just, um, this was just by way of introduction, but I would set the ball rolling, anyone who is ready. So generally when we say truth, 
I mean, how what's your approach? If we say something is truth, what's your what's the thing that comes to mind? What's the first thing that strikes you when we are saying okay, we are looking for truth? Um, this is truth. Not necessarily for now, we are not even limiting ourselves to let's say the Christian or let's say the religious circles necessarily, but even on a broader um, perspective, what is truth? Like when you hear the word, what comes to mind? Today, some some you set it rolling for us. All right, thank you very much. So, okay, I thank you very much for the opportunity. And for me, my brief description of truth is something that is real. So I would like to use the word reality in replacement for truth, like in the general sense. So basically, that's that's true for me. Something that is real, something that is substantial. Wow. So basically, that's, that's my one-word definition for truth. Yeah, that's interesting. We don't want to probably go into a lot of definitions for now, but yeah, real um, reality. That's a whole complex subject on its own. Um, so, um, Araba, so truth, what's um, your take on it? I mean, your general approach, or, yeah. Okay, so I've been trying to think about the subject of truth and what truth really is. I mean, if I had to summarize it or explain what truth is. And I mean, finding an objective definition is very difficult for me. So I think I'll just stick to what the Bible says, that the truth is Jesus Christ. And um, for me, what the Bible says is what truth is. Yes. Thank you. So what the Bible says is what truth is. So by expanding it, I'm assuming that given any subject matter, um, the Bible or what the Bible says is the final arbiter. Am I using the right term? I mean, yeah. yeah, I think in essence that's what I said. Yeah, arbiter is a legal term, right? Kind of, yes. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, have a lawyer over here, so you have to teach your words correctly. <laughs> so, um, uh, Kompa, it's your turn now. Yeah, sure. I think that I would agree with our that you know, 25 truth gets quite philosophical and uh, you can go into all sorts of things. So I don't keep it very simple like some did. I think for me, truth is anything that um, corresponds to um, facts or reality or that facts back it and it's real. Yeah, that's what I'll say. So um, I think by so Araba, picking up from your point, can I safely say that, I mean, can I, um, are you implying that truth I mean, in the essence of it, it's objective in a broader sense because you are, you've actually tied the personality to truth from your definition and from from your, the submission you made. So are you, is it safe to assume that you're saying truth is objective? All right. So um, by asking whether truth is objective, I'm trying to get to your use of the word objective. Objective as in um, tied to a certain... Okay. Um, so... By by objective, I, I was saying that if we are saying that something is true, I mean, we use the term real, something that is real and all that. So, irrespective of, because I, I think in my introduction, I said that people say my truth, your truth. So, on a particular subject matter, is it does it border down to only perspective or in the truest sense of it, we can have should I say, a standard independent of how I feel across cultures? We can confidently say that this. It's real for all cultures. This is real for all people of, of the earth, not necessarily limited to your cultural boundary or something like that. So that's what I 
the use of the word objective. That's what I meant. So okay. Um well since we are we are dealing with language and we are dealing with words, I don't think we can accurately define um something without stating the context in which we are using it. I remember when I was in school, the example was that was used was the word school. So now if you ask, is school a noun or an adjective or uh, I don't know which other way, but now adjective, verb, whatever, whatever, <laughs> you would you would realize that looking at a single word school, I think it's a noun. I, I'm, I'm not sure my English myself, but then the same word school, depending on how it is used in a sentence, can be an adjective. So when you go like the school bus is late, it's the same word school. But then in this sentence, it is describing the bus. So when I think when people are saying that um, this is truth for me, I could understand them depending on the context. And a common example I can give scripturally is concerning um, Lot and his wife and the family. What was the truth? So Lot would say that the instruction the angel gave them was do not look back or do not look at Sodom and Gomorrah. That is the truth. But then it is truth just for Lot and his family because just the next few verses, we are told that Abraham arose early in the morning and looked at Sodom and Gomorrah. So now the issue at looking at, um, at Sodom and Gomorrah being a sin is truth for Lot and his wife and his family. But it is not truth for Abraham. So just to, in quotes, defend those who say that, if they're saying it in this context, then it's understandable. So I think that we can't just say truth um, as a word. I, I I greatly believe that the context you are using it would influence what you mean, generally. Generally, I, I really believe that. So yeah, that's my take on whether truth is objective. It has an objective um, usage and it has a subjective usage. That's, if I'm to summarize, that's what I'll say. Okay, Sam, thank you so much. Um, Araba, if you are back, I think now you get, at least you understand where we are coming from. If you want to make a submission. All right. Um, I would say that it depends. There are certain things that may be true for, I mean, beyond cultural barriers. No matter where you go, it would be true. But there are certain things that may not always be true. Um, so you can make... Maybe let's take even different skin colors. Somebody may say that everybody has maybe translucent skin because they lived, I mean, before they discovered Africa or they got to know that there were Africans or there were other people with darker skin, they probably thought that everybody else had um, translucent skin or everybody else could blush, for example. And you, whenever anybody felt embarrassed, you'd see redness in their face. That would be true for them, but it's not true for I mean, a black person. So there are certain facts or certain things that are true for certain cultures, but they are not true for everyone. And there are certain things that are true no matter where you go or no matter where you find yourself. Yes, thank you. Yeah, okay, that's, that's good. Kampa, um, can you also make your submission if you want to? Yeah, sure. I think that for me, I think for me, I always think of it as being objective, no matter what. Um, it's very interesting to hear the perspective from Arab and then some. I've not really thought of treating those along those lines before. So it's something interesting to hear, and I'm actually thinking about it now. But for me, I've always thought that uh, the truth is objective, no matter what, uh, no matter where. 
um, yeah, that, that's what I think. I think creative subjective because if someone, all, all that I always think about is if someone says, I'm talking with somebody and the person says, oh, okay, what I'm saying is my truth, but it's not true for them. But how about if my truth says that your truth is a lie, then which one is really true? Then both can't be right. You both can't be true. Someone has got it wrong, right? That's how I always think about it. So yeah, that's that's what I think. But I think it's very interesting what Arabians have said as well. And I'm considering it. I'm thinking about it especially right now. Yeah. Yeah, I guess maybe we should try and veer off what philosoph- philosophers do. They sit there for hours and just they will spend in a discussion. They will spend the first uh, five hours just to define their terms, even before they go to the main point. Because generally, I think the use of language is another complex subject matter that we probably would have to. Um, I mean, it might be beyond the scope of what you are looking at, but yeah. I mean, so the use of the language, I think, from what I'm picking from um, Araba and some is that the use of the language is. is in one sense, it becomes contextualized because you can't just use it in generic terms. But now, just for us to understand why we are even looking at truth at the moment, because from our previous episodes, if I remember correctly, we've been saying that as Christians, right, or let's say generally, there should, let's say, within, we're discussing echo chambers, right? So it's, we are good, we, it's possible to have a, um, a context, or let's say, in the use of our, I mean, the term we've been using, an echo chamber where they're like, okay, this is our truth. And also, um, I mean, another echo chamber would be like, this is our truth. But when these, and also adding up what Kompa said, when these things seem to conflict, then we are like, mm, no, that it means there should be an objective standard. So combining all that you said, uh, can I safely say that it's, I mean, the objectivity of truth comes into play when we are considering a, a particular subject matter, right? We cannot just say truth the use of the word just like that and think it's um, what do you call it a subjective but it's definitely context-based and so that's where we are coming from the echo chamber truth because we we believe that at the end of the day i remember Corelis Kampa kept using the term that we have to be on the side of truth jesus christ also said that all those who are on the side of truth they listen to him now let me just use what jesus said about himself he said i am the way the truth. So now let me pause. Let me not continue. I am the way, the truth. From our brief submissions that we've made now, how do we think about Jesus' term over here? I am the way, the truth. Was Jesus, was there a subject matter and the way Jesus said that? Or did he just make a general term in such a way that no matter the context, if Jesus comes in there like he is the truth, what does it even mean for us? Given that, I mean, yeah, so that, that's that's the main reason for even we really looking at it before we move up to establishing what will be let's say fun, foundational um things that are non-negotiable for us. So Jesus' statement, I am the way, the truth. So that part, I am the truth. Um what is our take on it? How do you understand it in any relation to all that you've been discussing so far? Yeah, I'd want Sarah to go ahead if you're ready. Okay, um that's an interesting one. Jesus saying that I am the truth. I I think that he meant truth probably without subject because the Bible says that by him were all things made and without him was nothing made that was made. And I mean, if we understand that the world was framed by the word of God, even looking at 
let's say principles of gravity and everything. It means that he is the embodiment of all those things. So if he, he as the creator called himself the truth, then I believe that it transcends all, all bodies and, and the issue of subject matter, yes. Okay, this is interesting. Okay, so um, we'll, we'll, we'll draw, I mean, further. So, Kampa, I mean, what are your initial take on this? This is uh, I am the truth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's very interesting. Uh, and I don't I don't think I want to get into exiting no 146. When Jesus says that he's the truth, I think that, yeah, as our says, um, it's like beyond uh, subjects. It's like that's the, he's the objective or he's the truth of all truth. I don't even know how to explain it. But he, he's saying, because when you look at Christianity, that Christianity is actually referring to a person, right? To the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when I think of Jesus saying that he's the truth, should I say that if, if you're not with him, or if you do not believe in him, or if you're not on his side, then whatever you are doing, it's, a, it's not the truth. You're not on the side of truth. Because he himself is the embodiment of truth. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, it really, really does. I mean, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Still getting a little more complex, but I think we'll, we'll, we'll make some progress tonight. So, Sam, um, yeah, the ball is in your court. I'm okay. Well, looking at the scripture, which is in John 14, I, I'm, Jesus was addressing a particular issue. So, in that immediate context, so I think Jesus saying and the truth has, um, it corresponds both to the immediate context they were dealing with and also at large. So you know that it was in John chapter 14 when he was telling the disciples that um, believe in me, in my father's house, there are many mansions. Then he made this statement in response to the question Thomas asked. So Thomas said unto him, that's the verse 5, we know not whether thou goest, and how can we know the way? So Jesus was telling them something. And he said that we don't even know where we are going to. How much can we even know the way to where you are going to? So it was in response to that that he gave the answer that I am both the way, I am the truth, and I am also okay, to the end of the day. So that immediate sense. He was letting um Thomas and the disciples who were listening to him realize that you know in John chapter 14 he said, All those who came before me were thieves and robbers. In the immediate sense, he was talking about, you know, the Jews people believed in deity. So the issue, and just as in other religions, almost everybody believes in the supreme being or in a creator, an uncreated creator. Jesus making that statement is letting us know that all those who came before me or all those who are making certain claims, none of them is actually the real claim. That's why I like to use the word reality. So Jesus is telling Thomas that I am the way. I am the real way. Because the only way you can get to a particular destination is by following me. So in the immediate sense, that's what, what he was um, cutting across, that do not get it twisted. There is none that is going to come before me that is real, and there is none that has come before me that is also real. I am the one. And in that context, it is objective. There is no two ways about that. But yes, we can apply We can um, apply this truth, or we can apply this statement to all things. Jesus is real. Nothing else is real in this world. So even um, Paul said the other day that we look not on the things that we see, but the things we don't see, because even the things we see are temporal. They are not real. They are, they are I've forgotten the, the expression that, that I wanted to use. 
but none of these things are real. None of these things are substantial. All that you are seeing, they will fade away. One characteristics of truth is that it stands forever. It's everlasting. So in Arabic's definition, she said that truth is anything the word of God says. And Jesus also said the same thing when he said, heaven and earth will pass away, but these words of mine shall never pass away. So yes, Jesus is the truth. And anything that contradicts him is not the real thing. So if Jesus says, I remember one of, one of my one spiritual instructor says, if Jesus says that um, I am a white man, immediately he makes that statement. Even though I am black, immediately he makes that statement because he is truth. Everything must conform to him. So if I look in the mirror and I know I'm a black man, in the next second, Jesus opens his mouth and says, you are a white man. Automatically, I become a white man because everything must conform to him. That's what it means to be the real deal. That's what it means to be the reality. So I think both in the immediate context and, and extrapolating it, it, it still makes sense and it's still valid. So yes, yeah, this, this is a great one. Um, I mean, I, I mean, as we are speaking, I'm just still thinking about and processing this. So I'm getting the understanding that generally, when we talk about truth, we are also kind of pointing at a standard for judgment of matters or situation. What what what's it, what's our take on this? Because this is what I'm picking from our I pick from our conversation, and even especially for some uh, from some submission. When we are talking about truth, we are kind of also looking at the standard for judgments, right? Um, what do you think about this? Oh, okay, okay. Yes, I, I, I think so. But, well, for me, for me in particular, I always prefer to use the word, I always tell people, I may be wrong, but I, I tell people that I prefer to use the word facts. Or to me, facts are different from truth. Or fact is different from the truth. So, for example, you go to the hospital and they see a tumor in your body. That is a fact. The fact is that a tumor is growing in your body. So what are they using to judge or to come up with that conclusion? You know, to make a judgment means to conclude on something. So if the doctor sees cells clustered together and they are forming a tumor, that is a fact that you have tumor or somebody has tumor or somebody has diabetes. But then yet again, you compare that fact to the truth, which is the word of God or which is Jesus, then that fact becomes a lie. So me in particular, I don't like interchanging the word truth and fact. So truth becomes my standard of judgment, and my truth is Jesus and what he has to say. Many things are facts in this world, but immediately they contradict the standard of who Jesus is and what he says. Then they become facts if per the judgment of using what my eyes or using physical evidence or evidences that can be seen through my sensory perceptions, those can be facts. So it's a fact that maybe I am I am I am slim or I'm I'm I'm, I'm tall, but immediately God says I am short, that, that becomes the truth. But a fact is saying that you can get from your sensory perception. So for me in particular, that's the way I like to use the word truth and fact. So some things are, are facts, but immediately they contradict the person of Jesus and what he says, then that fact cannot become truth. So some truth can become fact. So if you are coming to a conclusion, what standard are you using to make your conclusion or to make your judgment? I would rather want to use the person of Jesus and what he has to say. That's for me. Yeah, I was just um, giggling over here when Sam said that. <laughs> if I say that I'm slim, I mean... <laughs> I mean, that's just by the way. So 
I mean, because where I where you want to, let me just say where I'm hoping we get we get to, so that we know how we are building our discussion, our conversation, how we are building. Because generally, we understood that there's a we have several teammates, right? Where you find ourselves, and that's I mean, you every we we I think we've established to a, a certain degree that. Everyone just finds themselves in an echo chamber or not belonging to thinking you are not belonging to one is I mean in itself an echo chamber you belong to. So this whole subject matter of truth and all that and Jesus saying that I am the truth. Are we confident in what assurance do we have to be able to understand that independent of the background that you are coming from, independent of where you find yourself, if we sit together and we try to discuss um issues you are also going to arrive at the conclusion that um what do what do i even say jesus christ is the truth i don't know if it's clear let me come again independent of where we are coming from is it is it possible that without any influence right from an external so i'm, I'm even looking at a scenario where you don't get exposed to another echo chamber let me put it this way where you find yourself within a specific one maybe from Bet so let's say you die, right? Is it very possible that even within if Jesus Christ's truth, we understand that what Jesus Christ is is objective? Is is it possible for one to come to that point where, like in my heart, right? You know, my religious commitment, no my whether I'm a Muslim, whether I'm a Buddhist, whether I'm whatever, I have deep within my heart that I'm searching for truth and I'm going to follow wherever it leads within a particular what we are referring to as in the coaching, but is it possible that someone would arrive at that while being within those circles? I don't know if the question is clear or the point I'm making is clear. Kwampai, if so, it's clear. Yeah. yeah so I just want a clarification. So if the person is in the echo chamber, the person is not exposed to any other thing outside of that echo chamber, yeah. right? Yeah, so the, the assumption is that mm-hmm. the person earnestly wants to know the, the truth or okay. let's say Let's say let's even use salvation specifically. The person wants mm-hmm. to know the truth, and within their hearts, they truly want to know it. But they are not exposed to any other. They just find themselves within, as we put it, one echo chamber. Is it possible for such a person to just know it by just yearning from within their hearts? Like how 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 would you? I mean, okay. something like this. Yeah, I think that um, it's possible because <laughs> with God, all things are possible. But um, yeah, that's just by the way. But yeah, definitely, it is possible. The scripture in Acts uh, 17, where Paul said, I don't know, let me see if I can find it quickly, and I would like to read it. Um, because at the end of the day, what God wants is for everybody to know him. Everybody to come to the knowledge of the truth, right? Which is um, um, salvation in Christ Jesus. So that's what God wants um, everybody to come to. So if somebody is deeply yearning to come to the knowledge of the truth, we really know what the truth is, what God says, or who God really is, how God wants us to relate with him, or how God wants us to know him. I believe that God, in his own wisdom, would find a way to make um, sure that a person comes to the knowledge of the truth. Um, so the scripture I'm looking for is, um, okay, 17.26. It says that, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, since seven, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might group for him and find him, 
though he's not far from each one of us. And so from what Paul is saying here is that when God has pleased each and every person, you find somebody to say somebody a Buddhist or a Muslim find themselves in that echo chamber where they are not exposed to Christianity or Christianity, that is to say, how would they ever find God? But God is God in his own wisdom knows that he placing them there is what will cause them to you know seek after him, right? And chase after him. And in doing so, find him. Um I mean God in his own wisdom will find a way for these things to work out. Sometimes if you think about this humans, somebody born into such an echo chamber, there's absolutely no way. There's no way like you can um come to the military. But you think about us as believers, the people who are born into what is what you call Christian homes. But even born into a Christian home doesn't mean automatically know the Lord or being born again because they're who else born into Christian homes and then they went off and they didn't come to know the Lord because we are all dead spiritually. And so what's special about you or how do you come to the knowledge of the truth? Even though growing up you've been exposed to it, it's, it's still the work of the Holy Spirit, you know, God working in you to make sure that you come to know of the because as for information, everybody, we all, we all grew up with the same information. If you consider somebody that you went to Sunday school with or you, went to, you grew up with in church, but then now the person no longer believes in the law. You think about how that happened because you're both exposed to the same information. You went to Sunday school together. You were both taught the same things. You learned the same things. You grew up together. All happened, and at the point, that person will say that, okay, now I, don't be, I no longer believe in this. Even though that person was, you know, you grew up in the same echo chamber. So it is very, very possible for somebody to be in an echo chamber where they are not exposed to the ideas of the truth. But because God wants everybody to know him, God, that's God's uh, greatest desire, that everybody should come to the knowledge of the truth, and which is uh, by salvation through faith in Christ. If somebody is truly seeking the Lord, if somebody truly wants to know the Lord, God is going to find a way to um, make that happen. example I'll give is um, in Acts 10, Cornelius. No, Cornelius gave alms, prayed, fasted, but he didn't really know the true way, and he hadn't been exposed to it. So, was doing what he knew was right, or what he knew was the truth. So, what did God do? God has to move in a spectacular way to get Peter to come all the way to where he is, and then you know, preach to him so that he can be saved. And so, if somebody is truly, truly, truly seeking the Lord, truly, truly wants to know God, I believe that. God is going to find a way to make that person, you know, know him. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Pampa. Yeah. So I think, um, so that we don't, I mean, we, we would all have our take on it. So I think now we we are drilling down to uh, matters, um, specifically religion. Because I think when we go, we make it broad, it will end up being merely philosophical and we might not make uh, substantial progress. So Arba, if you are ready, the submission that I, I made initially can also add yours. All right. Um, building from where Grandpa left off about the fact that God would always find a way to, I mean, help you encounter Christ. So um, I think with the with the Cornelius example and then the Enoch's example, it shows us that you would actually have to hear about Christ. So you, it's not possible to be in your echo chamber and you are just there and by yourself, you'd be able to discover Christ. I think before Jesus came and we had our old people trying to find God and we see where they ended up with 
lesser gods and all that. And the Bible also says that how can they believe if they have not heard or they've not been preached to? So it makes us understand that finding if we are, even we are saying that Jesus is the truth, it's going to be very difficult for someone who has not been exposed or has not heard about him to just, let's say you are locked in your room forever. You don't speak to anyone, you don't encounter anyone, and you hear about Christ. And unfortunately, the gospel has not been committed to angels. So God would have to find someone to come your way, maybe give you some dreams, give you certain things that will point you to um, Christ. So we see even Paul, after Jesus expo- I mean, revealed himself to Paul, Jesus still directed him to certain believers. So um, I believe that before you can encounter Christ, you'd have to hear about him. You cannot be in a closed echo chamber and just suddenly discover him for yourself without being exposed to something else outside your echo chamber. All right. Thank you, Araba, for your submission. And Sam, before I, I, I make some other points, Sam, can you add your voice? Oh, okay. I, I, would, I agree with everything um, both Araba and Krampa have shared. I would just like to use the word or the terminology, the seed of truth. In your own echo chamber without exposure, I think, for the lack of better words, the best God will do is to give you a seed of truth. And that's what you definitely need um, a human agency to follow up. Because that's the means that God has chosen. So even if you read in Romans, after Paul blasting the Jews, that you people have received the law, yet still you are misbehaving. And when he came to we Gentiles, it was like, even though we Gentiles have not received the law, Creation itself is more than enough evidence that there must be a creator. So God will deposit seeds of truth in people, but then there would always be the need for a human um, vessel or a human aid to come in and water that seed of truth. So I believe maybe our forefather was that seed of truth that made them um, um, turn everything they saw into a God. They saw a stone and for some strange reason, they accredited powers to the stone or to a tree or to a water body. I'm hoping that maybe it was the seed of yearning for for God that made them attribute, but they didn't have or they were not properly guided. So they ended up going into funny, funny things. That's how come Jesus again will come and say, I am the truth. That yearning in your heart, that yearning for satisfaction in life that yearning for purpose in life that god has deposited in you i am the answer to that so yes in your own echo chamber without encountering anybody i think god will deposit the seed of truth in you but then there will always be a need for you to be in a community of other people to grow that seed so that's my take on it yeah i was even i'm gonna use that point as well but i think um one of the things that normally comes up i mean in such discussions um, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me that whenever we are talking about Jesus Christ, truth and all that, we kind of push it to um, what maybe I would say, then there's what we, we would term as a spiritual. I don't know if you get what I'm driving at, right? Because I mean, if you are talking about him being, the, I know we initially, we try to establish that like he created all things and all that, but in the, most of our conversation, we we see um, the place where concerning the, let's say, the fiscal matters or even using the terms, the sciences, and we kind of relegate Jesus as we put it, we, we have to ask him in discussion to just the, the spiritual, right? How, I mean, I know we have a, correct me if I'm wrong, someone, some your microbiologist, right? Yes, please. Yeah, that's powerful. 
Yeah, so we are in good hands. <laughs> so we have a microbiologist over here. How are we going to, I mean, everyone would also make that submission. How are we going to combine what we understand? Because one of the challenges is at the end of the day, Jesus Christ would explain something. And because we are Christians, right? I, we accept um, Jesus Christ um, as the final, let's say, what Jesus Christ says is the final, is the truth, right? But what if given a particular thing, I'm able to explain it in very physical terms without invoking the spiritual, doesn't make it safe for me, would I have to invoke um, the spiritual? Because that's where we, in, our, in, the, in the public place, we find religion or let's say even, as we put it, Jesus Christ, relevant. Do I even need to go to that extent? Shouldn't I just be content with an explanation that kind of covers my needs without just straying off into the spiritual where we kind of find Jesus Christ applicable? What, what's your take on this? Am I am I making sense with the question? Yeah, I, I think I, I get you. So yes, um, um, yet again, I'd like to go back to my two technologies, facts and truth. Science gives us facts. But the interesting thing is that behind all these facts are truth, which is Jesus. Let me give an example. Um, it's amazing how scientists, I don't know if, I, if I'm right to say, most scientists don't believe in God. I would rather prefer to use the term um, I think Paul used when he was saying that even, let me look for that scripture, I think it's the Romans 1, when he was blasting it, when he said, um, I think the verse from verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God had showed it unto them, verse 20, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. So what do we scientists do? We are trying to understand the things that are made. So I am microbiologist, so I study uh, microorganisms, that is organisms you cannot see with a naked eye or an unaided eye. And these things were created by God. So in my attempts to understand or study about viruses or study about bacteria or protozoas or fungi, it would be very unwise of me to see God in these things. That is why Paul is saying that in the next verse, the 22, he said, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. In fact, the verse 21, he says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Every scientist... Frankly speaking, every scientist who is into research knows God. Because the more you study nature, the more you study about photosynthesis, the more you study about, about physics, about the universe, about energy, about matter, you would clearly see the blueprint of God in creation. It is undeniable. Undeniable. So you see, the scientists who are claiming that because of the evidence or because of the facts they have, they cannot believe in God. They are rather just doing what um, Psalms 14 verse 1 says. A fool says in his heart, there is no God. Meaning that, so even though in their hearts the evidence is clear, they would want to just deny the evidence. So I, I want us to pay particular attention to the verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. They don't want to give God the credit. So I was teaching my students, um, about the DNA. And when you study the DNA, you cannot, it's like, and I was telling my students that the, the DNA of human beings, 
um, it's basically four um, nucleotides, just four, four things. And I said, it's the same thing with the computer code. And I'm sure, Okran, you are the computer. I think that the computer language is, I heard something about binary something, ones and zeros. So please, Okran, am I correct? It's just, I think there's some computer code that they do. Yeah, you're correct. <laughs> um, I mean, if it's not a quantum machine, they normally yeah, runs on ones and zeros. Am I right? You are right. I think it's quantum machine okay. that is quite different. Okay. Yeah. Can, okay, can you tell me that? Okay. Oh, this network. Okay. So, Okran, can there be a case that a code will appear on the computer without there being a coder? Behind every code is, a, is somebody who codes the code or a coder or a programmer, if I'm using the right word. So, just studying the DNA of man or studying the DNA of living things and realizing that everything about us is just by four molecules, which we call A, T, C, and G, is clear evidence. So creation gives you the clear evidence of a creator. But the issue is that, so the facts lead them to truth. But the issue is that when they see the truth, they just do not want to give God the glory. Frankly speaking, you cannot be a scientist, you cannot do research and deny the existence of a creator. It's like saying that you see Mercedes-Benz and tell me that Mercedes-Benz came into existence because one tire or one seat was roaming around. You know, the general knowledge is that we have what you call the endosymbiotic theory, that first of all, we were all just molecules or particles. Then due to um, certain forces, these molecules came together, they became one cell. From one cell, we became, uh, we have what they call that, uh, mitochondria and organelles came and they began to evolve. It's like telling me that made to existence. There was just the steering wheel over there. Then because of certain forces, the steering wheel went to join to a seat and the seat went to join to an engine. Then due to the elements of natural selection, this um, seat steering wheel and engine evolved into um, into a, a small car. I forgot how they call it. Those small cars. Then those small cars evolved into a saloon. And due to natural elements and natural selection and evolution, that it doesn't make sense. So these scientists clearly know that there cannot be a creation without a creator. So the creation, which is fact. So even if I don't see Henry Ford, when I see the car, the car is the fact. So the facts of the car will lead me to the truth, which is Henry Ford is the inventor of a car. So frankly speaking, I really started with Romans 1 verse 21. Both they know God did. So though they know the truth, which, was, which the facts led them to the truth, they do not want. And it's like um, the birth of Jesus. What did the wise men see? They saw a star. And that star, which was a fact, that they noticed that there was something unusual about this star. What did that star do? The star led them to the truth. And every scientist or every person who is knowledgeable and philosophical you will see facts but as you keep studying the facts there's only one conclusion that all these facts will lead to and that is the person of jesus thank you thank you so much you know when you venture into someone's field the person that generally arises right and um, <laughs> can you give us your take on it hope you've not forgotten the initial submission Right. I've even forgotten. I told you. <laughs> but I mean, it's been it's been interesting listening to the scientific perspective. I, I mean, I've I've really learned a lot. So, but let me hear the question again. <laughs> so, like, I was like, now if I can really explain something that I see with fiscal things, like if I have fiscal tangible explanatory um, explanations to things that happen all around. Because the point I initially was making was, it seems to me that whenever we try to bring in 
some the whole thing about truth and Jesus Christ, it's most often when we want to invoke the spiritual, right? But given that I can explain stuff physically and understand my surrounding without necessarily invoking the spiritual, of what to use your so-called Jesus, who is the truth and all that to me. You get that's where I'm coming from. Eh? Yeah. So should we, I mean, how do we go about it? If I can explain fiscally and all that, so we do I even have to strive to invoke the spiritual or um yeah, I mean, how necessary is the spiritual where we kind of most often please Jesus Christ and I mean this whole thing about religion, how yeah. All right. Um I think I understand your question. If I get you then the whole idea is that if people can understand the life that they live and how I mean the whole concept of life without trying to bring in anything spiritual, they can understand their environment. Why bring in Jesus? Because Jesus is not seen by them physically, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's the point. Okay, well, um, that would have been a good point if this whole world was just about the physical and there was nothing after life. But then I think maybe then we'll be going into where Sam is coming from. The experiences that people have had make us understand that it is not possible that life is just what it is. Let's look at the near-death experiences. People sometimes go into coma and then come back with all sorts of experiences. It makes us understand that there's something beyond the life that we, we are living now. And this world, even from experiences that people have had, it's not just about what we have now. If it was just us, I mean, going and coming, eating and drinking, then it would have been enough to limit yourself to what we have here. But if life is beyond the physical, then of a necessity, we must bring in something beyond the physical. And Christ becomes very important in, in that case. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'll, I'll bring some another controversial point again. Um, Kompa, can you make a submission? Sure, sure. Thank you. I'll just pick up more about that. Life is really just about the physical. I think that if, if life were just about the physical, then... Um, if you could explain, like, okay, everything, how, how how this world came about, and all those things, um, from the scientific point of view and the physical point of view, it, then it still doesn't, it, it leaves a lot of questions unanswered. Because at the end of the day, why do we talk about things like purpose? Uh, why why do you commit yourself to live a life, you know, to impact uh, the society positively? Because all those scientists, what they are doing, you know, researching and everything. Are trying to improve upon uh, humanity, you know, to make life better, to help us understand life so that life can be improved and all of that. What's the goal? What's the aim for all of that? Life is just our physical. It's just that, that means that you're just trying to serve your own, you know, purpose, your own interest, like something that you've come up with by yourself. And you're just trying to, you know, um, live it out in that way. But then, of course, we know that life goes beyond the physical. Because you can see that people in this world have gathered all the things that we know physically, all the riches, all the all the material things. They have everything that you can think of physically. Yes, so you know, some said earlier, like there's a longing, there's something missing in them. And so because of that, um they are not they feel like they are not complete. And so that can show you that it's not life is not just about the physical, it's not about getting all of these things, it's not about acquiring all of this, it's not about just being able to explain the physical realities of this world. Okay, you can explain the physical realities of this world, but why should somebody live a good life? Why should we try and improve upon uh, humanity? Why should we make society a better place for everybody? There's really no point from the physical point of view. There's actually no reason to do that at all. 
But if you are trying to go by the uh, physical point of view, you know, someone's talking about natural selection, survival of the fittest, it's about seeking out your own self-interest and making sure that, you know, life goes on well for you. But you don't go beyond yourself. But then the experience that we have in this life is that human beings are always trying to go beyond themselves, to look out for each other, to look out for one another, to look out for the whole society and the whole community. And that in itself should tell us that life is beyond physical. And that's meaning, that's purpose. So that's um, that we are trying to do. It doesn't originate from man. It doesn't originate from man. It doesn't originate from ourselves. And it's God who has placed that in us. That's why um, when someone's reading from Romans 1, he's talking about the physical the second part of that one. He's talking about you know the moral law of God. And he has written it in our hearts. And we know that this is right. We know that this is wrong. And you know, the moral law is a proof of the moral lawgiver, who is God. And so by the very fact that we know that, no, there's, there, there's something beyond this physical life that I live in that. We know that there's something that's right that we must do. If we do this, it's not right. If we do it, it's wrong. That alone should tell us that, you know, life is beyond the physical. The other thing that I would also say is that, for, for instance, this Ravi gave this example some time ago that if a scientist is in a lab and then he's doing a research, there's really nothing that compels physically compels the scientist to count and present the truth of the research that he made. You can actually just fake those results and then just come on and say, oh, this is what you got. Maybe to serve his own uh, agenda or something or to get some money, anything to serve his own selfish interest. But the integrity of the profession is that no matter what you, you know, come out with, you have to present it as the truth. You don't have to you know, cook it. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to tamper with the values. You don't have to tamper with anything. But wh- why, why is that? Why should you know, anybody do that? Like, there's no reason, you know, from a physical point of view to actually do that. But then we know that life goes beyond the physical. It, I mean, it's so clear, it's so evident uh, by human experience, from human history, everything. We can clearly see that life goes beyond that. So that is where, you know, Jesus comes in. And, you know, the fact of Jesus is cut across every sphere of society. That's why it's very, very important. Uh, and, you know, we can talk about the problem of sin. And now Jesus provides the solution for that because the problem of sin cuts across all of humanity, every industry, every sector, everywhere you can see the problem of sin, even in religion, you know, you can even see it there. And so that is where, you know, the person of Jesus comes in. And that is where Jesus becomes really important for us to, you know, know him and then, you know, uh, uh, believe in him so that he can transform us and change us. Yeah. Yeah, it raised so so many interesting points. I think some made a point where so if I mean it's 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 like it's so 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 a lot of things are very self-evident. So this is the actual word that I wanted to use. Whether even in a specific equity by you are able to come to the point where like things are so self-evident that they always would lead you to like I, the, the the point I actually wanted to make is like within the equity by it looks like. As some put it, seed of truth, right? Some things are so self-evident that it's like when you follow the lead of that thing, you would ultimately find yourself seeking Jesus Christ. You find yourself, I mean, let's say you find yourself looking after God and then when the question of, the question starts from, is there God? Then you would, from all indications, you'd be like, nah, it's, 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 it doesn't take rocket science. It's just simple wisdom for you to know that there's something beyond, right? And not necessarily someone telling you that there's something beyond, but from all indications, from your own life. One thing I I, I, I think about, Risa, like it was just last year I started thinking about. So I don't know how this thought came to mind. And I, I was just like, it's just a sweet miracle for us to even assume that living is a good thing. Like, 
how on earth did, did we ever come to the conclusion that living is a good thing? Like, so it's, I mean, let's not go there yet. But so some of these things that I've been thinking about, and from Sam's point, it seems to me that all these things are clear, but the question is, are you really going to give God the glory for this? Maybe the first question is, okay, you say it's God, fine. And the next will be, which God? Then it means we, we are now in the religious domain and trying to find out, uh, find, uh, let's say, solution, um, who that God is, then we move to. So are you willing to give God that glory? And we understand from some submission that it seems to me that a lot of people get to that point where they're like, no, we are not going to give God that glory. So the main, from all that you've discussed, the main question that, I want us to even now think about, I mean, some discusses. Then what is the, what does religion, or we have it, ten, uh, seek to achieve? What is the, did I say utility of religion? What does religion really seek to achieve? Because it seems to me that no matter how you organize the people, right, they call themselves non-religious, but they end up creating religion. It's, it's I think, across most civilizations is something that almost always emerges. We have now what some some talked about the fact that scientists, very deep scientists, would always um, arrive at the conclusion that there is God, right? And what I think C.S. Lewis tackled this issue even before he passed on. He talked about the fact that what we have at the moment is not necessarily science, right? It's scientism. So there is science as the discipline where you do research you follow a certain methods, you are peer-reviewed and stuff like that. But we end up having what we call scientism. Now, the interesting thing about this is, maybe you've heard it before, science doesn't say anything. Whenever someone starts saying that, oh, according to science, according to science, to a greater degree, they are appealing to scientism. What they mean is science doesn't say anything. It's the scientists who say something. And this is a very, I think, for People will be listening to the this podcast if they ever make it through the whole um, episode and get here. It's something that they should keep in mind that when people rub the whole thing about scientists, they should understand that it's not science that says it is scientists who say. Because I mean, Kwampa um, made the use the example that science scientists can make all the research, but then at the, after making all the research, you know, researcher just. I mean, uh, Sam, you can let me know if I'm, I'm getting it wrong, but you make a research, but the, what is most important is the inference you make out of the research, right? Some yes, of correct. Yeah, so we can make yes, all the correct. research. Yeah, so it is the inference that is the real deal over here. Because I've heard stories where, because of, I mean, let's, let me be clear on this. I think for a particular, is it sugar or something? Like, I forgot, there was a research that probably came out that, if they had published it, it would have just collapsed a whole industry, right? So they ended up paying the science scientists to bring out <laughs> uh, research papers and stuff like that to support that. Let's say if it's sugar is bad, right? To rather write that sugar is good, something like that, and realize that it wasn't science. That's um, if uh, that, that brought that conclusion, right? But it was the scientists. So that's one thing that we should also bear in mind. So actually, the the question I want to Maybe we'll be rounded up with this question or a few more. Is what then is the role of religion as we have it? What do you think? Because I mean, every group, like you, you organize human structure and you just find a uh, uh, penchant, that's the word, <laughs> for religion. So, what do we say is the use of religion? What's, how do we, why do we come about? Why do you think this is a general human experience and 
in our bid to get to what we call the truth, the ultimate truth. Why do we why do we think we normally organize ourselves that way? I don't know if this question or this point is clear. Kampa, do you want to start for us? If it's if it's not clear, maybe I'll try and clarify again. Yeah, please, please clarify again. So like what is of what he uses religion? Let me say, let me put it that way. Of what he uses religion? Okay. So I think that maybe I can't, I'm not an expert on religions. I can't speak for other religions. Let me speak for Christianity. Who I okay, let me say, when, 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 when humans uh, organize themselves into religion, what do you think they are trying to achieve? Let me put it that way. Hmm. When humans organize themselves into religions, what are they trying to achieve? I think that when you look at all of human history, you can see that every civilization, um, every civilization that has come up, you know, had some sort of religion or deity or God that, you know, they worship. I think it's only our civilization in this point in time that are trying to drive God out of the whole thing and, you know, no God at all and all of that, you know, replacing God with all sorts of other things. Every civilization that has arisen in this world, you know, has some sort of God or deity. And I think that it stems from the fact that human beings um, know with the, we know within ourselves that there's something beyond, you know, um, the physical or beyond ourselves. You know, that there's someone, there's a creator or a deity out there, you know, that uh, we, we, we need to relate to. There's a longing in us. There's a yearning in us for that uh, creator, that being. And I think it's God himself who places in us. And so basically when humans, you know, put themselves in religions like that, I think that that is the primary thing. Because of that yearning and that longing in us. And that's why people will try to, you know, put themselves in religion. Maybe other people may have other selfish reasons. You know, maybe somebody would try to set up a religion group because he wants to be in a position of power, a place of power, um, so that he can have influence and authority and all of that. That could be one one, one reason. But then generally, I think that when um, we, we place ourselves in religious groups and religions like that is because we know that there's um, something beyond us, something out there that's, you know, uh, within us we are yearning for. And I think that the other thing too is um, to have a sort of um, moral objective standard in order to guide our lives. I think that I was listening to a preacher one day and he said that someone, I don't know if it's a preacher, I, I can't really remember. I think it should be Ravi. I can't really remember. He said that the, the most verifiable facts about humans is our depravity, like human depravity. But it is in today's world, that is the most contested fact. And I think that is so true when you look at human beings. All human beings are capable of the evil, the wickedness, the, the sin that people are capable of. I mean, it's amazing. Even when you look at you yourself, even me myself, sometimes the things that I can conceive of it amazes me, you know. And so when 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 we see that, I think with religion, we can um, kind of, you know, with other religions, but let me not talk about Christianity now, but talking about religion in general, we can kind of deal with it in a way um, so that we know that, okay, there's God, there's good. You know, every, every, almost every religion tries to, you know, do this. Like even um, the African traditional religion that we know, like if you do something, there's some punishment. If you still, there's a punishment. Uh, you have to go and appease the gods, all of that kind of thing. And so, in a way, it's also to check, you know, people's behavior because human beings are capable of all sorts of things. 
And sometimes religion can help you check people's behavior and sort of uh, correct it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kampa. Before we move on to Abba, so I'm reading a quote over here. I've heard it quite often. I just looked it up and it's attributed to Pascal. These days, when you see some quotes online, you, just, you should just be very careful before you start mentioning who was attributed to because most mm. of the time it ends up not to be correct. But let me just read it. It says, because I've heard Tim Keller use it quite often. It says, there is a good ship vacuum in the heart of each man, which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God, the creator, made known through Jesus Christ. And I don't know whether... Oh. Is it in Ecclesia? Okay, let me take it again since there's been a while. <laughs> there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man, which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God, the creator, made known through Jesus Christ. And I think, what is it in Ecclesiastes that says that eternity is in our heart or something like that? Yes, yeah, in Ecclesiastes. Yeah, okay. So I think it's all kind of ties into all compass. Yeah, okay, sure. I think it ties into what Compass said. So how about um for utility of religion, how do you look at it? Okay, so um I think generally religion is um man's way of finding God. And we've even discussed it today about the fact that before time, before I mean Christ came, God determined the extent of our habitations and left us in different places, hoping that as we we feel about, we would encounter the creator. So, of course, that's how come all sorts of religions came up because it was obvious to man that there was that superior being that they had to get in touch with. And so everybody just trying to, I mean, try to find their own way. Um, I do acknowledge, though, that in recent times, there have been people, as you mentioned earlier, that for I mean, financial gain, they would actually create a religion um, I think there was one popular religion. I don't want to mention names because I don't know how far this podcast would go. But, and it was quite popular among, I mean, celebrities. And I mean, quotations from the man shows that he just, the one, the founder, he just set it up because he knew that it was going to be financially beneficial to him. So, um, yes, the whole idea of religion is one that we understand that there's a supreme or a superior being. And that is how come people abide by a certain moral code because they know that if I do, I don't maybe abide by the moral code of the religion, there's a superior being that would punish me. And every religion seems to have that concept of punishment or hell or something like that. So the utility of religion, okay, one, what religion is man's way of finding God. And two, the utility is that it is because we know that there's a supreme being that human beings actually live by a certain code of ethics. If there was nothing like I'll be punished, there was nothing like um, I'll be judged or anything of that sort, then the use of being moral, don't cheat during exam and the like, they, I mean, they, they've become, as it were, of no importance because, so, I mean, who is going to check it? Or how did those moral codes even come up in this in the first place? How relevant are they? How relevant is right from wrong? So, yes, religion is important. It helps to keep us in check. And not only that, but it's man's way of finding God. Of course, we believe that Christianity is God finding man and not my man finding God. Thank you. All right, thank you. I'm not for your submission. It's, it's just one, one interesting um, place that we find ourselves in our current culture. At the end of the day, um, we just, Sam, you would make your submission, right? Um, we just want to, um, whenever people try to do away with, let's say, God, what they are even trying to do is that they end up deifying themselves. So it's like there's no way to run away from it because 
we've come to understand that even our moral codes or like when there's a law in motion, right? I mean, the thing about gravity is that you can say that gravity is not real. You just have to jump and you know whether it's real or not, right? It's 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 so evident that so it's the same thing with our moral law that you, you might wish against a particular law that is so much in your heart. I've been listening to um, this guy, um, what's the name? Jordan Peterson for a while now. Some of the people that he actually quotes, um, this Russian writer, I've forgotten the name of the writer, but he says one book, whether brothers karmas of like, so the whole idea that the thing about this moral stuff is even if you commit that thing, that atrocity, right? And no one ever sees you. There's something within yourself, what we have, we've come to call the conscience. I've, I've, I've listened to a lot of people and all that. And one thing that scientists have not been able to even uncover is the source of conscience, the root of conscience, but that's not for today. There's this thing that hits you so hard. And in Christians, we believe that the law of God, that's I think confirmation in scripture, right? From what some submitted is the Roman scripture where it says it's in our hearts, right? But this thing, God puts in there to be a check on your own self, even in the absence of everybody. But we see all these things, and I mean, as a man would have it, we don't want to give God the glory. So yeah, um, Sam, can you come in with your submission as well, religion? Um, okay, I think basically Arabi and Grandpa have said everything, but I just want to add something to the submission you made earlier before asking the question about um, the scientists and all those things. I remember <laughs> several years ago when I started my journey of wanting to be a billionaire. <laughs> I started listening to a lot of these billionaires. Oh, right now, eh, billionaires, they're Warren Buffett and the Steve Jobs and the Bill Gates Wait, so, and the... Please, yes. please that, is that where the new sound dollar comes from? <laughs> <laughs> oh, not really, not really. Not <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. really. <laughs> uh, uh, please continue. <laughs> So I remember I used to I used to really study them. I mean I remember I studied Dangote and all those people. But I realized there was one person commented all of them their statements. Like if they mostly question how do you become rich and you'll be giving things like oh follow your passion, exploit the market, be one step ahead of your generation, be you know all those funny funny things. There's one that passed through all of them. Some like to put it that hey, you need a little bit of luck. Especially, I think, um, Warren Buffett, I think so. He was talking about he's the investment guru. He was mentioning all these strategies and all those things. Then always, almost always, all of them, their last point is you will need a little bit of luck. In the sense that they all acknowledge the fact that in, the, in, in, in all these steps they are giving, there's a certain element in their becoming rich that was totally out of their hands. But yet again, because they just feel so proud and acknowledging that it was the hand of God or it was by the grace of God, they will say you need a little bit of luck. So that vacuum, that explains, because let's say you went to pitch your idea before somebody and that person gave you money to start your business. You could have not, sometimes they themselves will acknowledge the fact that when they were pitching their ideas, they didn't make the best presentation or they didn't even have enough facts as a dead. But for one reason or another, they had their pitch. For example, most of these people that are egonistic, meaning that they are doubtful about the existence of God. Genuinely speaking, they know that it was the hand of God, but 
when they think about it, the reason why they will agree it, that it is God, it means that it will then negate, in quote, all their hard work, all their creativity, all their being smart and being brilliant. And for those who claim they are atheists, if you do um, a set, most of them were once religious, but because of certain experiences, they just could not accept or have side with the view that there can be, in quote, a good God and certain things will happen to them. Then again, with the statement you made about scientists, that scientists, one thing about a scientific process is that we have your, your results, but results is just raw data. Every result must be analyzed. So, for example, if I write in a thesis, you have a, a mostly paragraph four, it is um, results. Then in paragraph or in chapter five is data analysis, meaning that the data you have presented makes sense out of it. That is when you say the scientists said, because two scientists can see one particular data, but then they have the liberty to interpret that data. And it's always going to be influenced by their background and most importantly, who is funding them in the rest. So even for example, with um, creation, there are various theories of how creation came into existence. And all of these school of thought definitely will have in quote some sort of evidence. So who is right? So that's just by the way. So now to answer your question, I think that religion is simply, as I said, man's attempt. I would like to use what's happened in the wilderness after Moses went on the mountain for 40 days. These same Israelites that saw God do wonders in Egypt, that saw God open the Red Sea, just because Moses kept long, they now took off their earrings and their jewelry and they molded for themselves a golden calf and they said, it is this calf that brought us out of um, Egypt. That is what religion is. Religion is when you are taking out your own earrings and you are molding it to create something and accrediting what is due God or what is due an unknown entity to that. So just um, redefining or adding my own words to how I ever put it. And yes, it's motivated by different things. Money, it's... it's and some too, I would say some religions are motivated by, in quotes, the hate for other religions. Some people just don't like the idea about maybe Christianity, about Jesus. So they, they say, okay, we have our own religion, Satanism. They just want to vent out their anger on a particular religion. So they'll come up with, with their own religion. So yeah, that's my take. Yeah. We further another interesting uh, episode here. Let me, today I'll give my final thoughts first and we, um, Araba will come, Pampa will come and Sam will sum it up. <laughs> Up for it. So, I mean, we've, we've, we've had an interesting time and we've, so the, the, the idea was to branch through the sciences. I think we made some progress over there. Also, we tried to compare briefly with other religions and see how all these things tie together. And one thing I would say on, on, the, on the thing about religion is, the more I think about it, you see, in the wilderness, but sorry, not in the world, in biblical times and past times, so where you would call the Odin days or stuff like that, they made deities, they made, they worship stones and all that. And we, 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 we in our current, what do you call it, dispensation, would easily mock them, right? That I mean, who, who just brings out their earrings and they make a carve and they're like. <laughs> What we made saved us. Like you think about the logic of this, and you're like, no, this life doesn't operate on mere logic. Because if you want to look at simple logic and simple experience, you'll be like, no, there's something really gone wrong. And that's why the spiritual dimension of this life is 
quite essential. We would have, uh, should I say, an ex- extended period of time to even look at the spiritual in relation to our pursuit for truth and exit in our echo chamber. So even understand that maybe sometimes what keeps us in our echo chamber, the spiritual undertones and all that. And this whole thing we are discussing is a matter of life and death, right? And that's to just end my point. One thing I also realized in our dispensation that we mock those who used to worship stones and all that. But now what you are doing is that we create, let me even use the, let me just venture into technology a bit. Um, hope I don't lose you, right? So we there's this thing called metaverse. We have stuff like artificial intelligence. We have stuff like machine learning, like things that people were not able to do. I mean, we see how robotics, robots are just, I mean, creation of robots and all that they are learning and all that. So we, human beings, one thing I've realized that God created us from a from our understanding, understanding, or let's say religious understanding, God created man and all that, gave him dominion, and man just spat in the face of God, roughly, um, just to use this term. And now we have also created, we are trying to create robots and all that, and man is trying to create something, right? And be able to create something so that they would be like, nah, I mean, what God has created, you no, know, we have been able to replicate it ourselves. So we end up becoming a, a god in our own image. But sometimes I saw that the thing will happen, right? I'm just hoping so much that God gives human beings the liberty, right? To be able to create, right? Create robots, create all that. And these robots and all these advancements in technology, they start treating man like the way we treat God. This whole idea is so, so much. Mercy. So, yeah, so this, this concept, this idea, it's so interesting to me that I feel that if I God gives me much grace, I should be able to maybe write about this idea and do a caricature of um, how the thing that we are going to create in the future would, how, I mean, how man will respond to how man's creation is treating him, right? The way we treat God. I think I have this funny feeling that sometimes God just sits around and watches man and something for comic relief, <laughs> if I should put this uh, just looks at what man is putting so much effort in and patting himself on the back and be like, these people are just, he just watches all these things just for comic relief. And that is the truth, is objective. And there's, there's an eternal privacy within a heart. That, there's an eternal craving that always kind of pulls us towards God. It's like, I think there's a force that keeps the planet in orbit, right? And this force kind of pulls, uh, I mean, keeps in orbit around the sun. Using the same thing, it looks like God is there's ever something that kind of pulls man closer to sorry, yeah, closer to God. And God has said that in emotion already. And if we are gonna follow our the the, the 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 deep, deep yearnings within our hearts, it will ultimately drives to God, no matter where we are, independent of culture, death, uh, what do you call it, difference and all that, because God himself, the creator has purpose that this should be so that all men will know him. So I'll end on this note, and I think um, Araba would have this headache and compound following some. Yeah. So Sam, when, uh, when you are done, you end with a prayer for us, right? I thank you. I think it's been an interesting discussion trying to find what truth is and to situate it in the context of Christianity and religion. And I think I've it's been interesting also hearing the scientific perspectives and all that. Um, but closing remarks, yeah, I think what do I even have to say? 
that it is important that going away, we, we remember that, as Jesus has said, that he's the way, the truth, and the life. Even outside the context of religion, I mean, Jesus and what he says is still relevant, is still important, and still guides us beyond the idea of even our worship of God. Thank you. Okay, all right, sure. Thank you. So, uh, this evening, I enjoyed the discussion. I've learned so much from everybody from Araba and Sama. So, I'm really, really grateful to be here. I think I'll just end with the it's a scripture in First Timothy 2 4. First um, Timothy 2 4 says that who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that's what God desires for all of us. Um, no matter what you know we are perceiving in this world, our goals, our dreams, visions, everything, you know, going about this life, what God really, really wants for us is to come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants us to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so since that's what God desires for us, if in our pursuit of everything that we are doing, we are also pursuing this uh, knowledge of the truth, to know what is the truth. And that is what God desires for us. God will definitely honor that desire and then make sure that we come to the knowledge of the truth. And so I think that as we go through life, we can be very uh, assured that God will definitely lead us to that truth that he wants us to come to, because that, that's what he also desires for us. You know, as uh, Arava said earlier, that in Christianity is God finding us. And whenever we have any desire, there's the yearning in us for something more, for something beyond this life, or something beyond the physical, or something beyond just you know getting money and getting all the things of this world. Maybe I yearning for something more than that, and she definitely know that it is God who is you know placing that desire in you, who is working in you to cause you to come to the knowledge of the truth. And, and yeah, and so we can be rest assured in that fact that God will definitely lead us and um, you guide us in that pursuit. Yeah, that's all I say. Um, okay, thank you. So I think for me, I'll say um, contend for the truth. Make every effort to know the truth. Be intentional about seeking the truth. And when you find the truth, please submit to the truth. When you find the truth, please submit to the truth. I remember, I think in our first episode, I said that Herod was looking for Jesus, not to worship him, but to kill him. But the wise men were also looking for the same Jesus, but they were looking for him to worship him. You see, sometimes, especially in my position, people come and ask me questions. And I realize that many people that ask me questions are like the Pharisees. They are asking questions to tempt Jesus. <laughs> so they are asking questions not because they want to know the truth, but for something else. So again, contend for the truth. And when you find the truth in Jesus Christ, submit to the truth and for tonight one truth we want to leave with you is that god sent us jesus to demonstrate the extent to which he has gone for us and to which he is willing to go for us so whenever the facts of life come up to you remember the truth that if god did not withhold jesus from you i don't think god would withhold a car from you I don't think God would withhold a good job from you. I don't think that God will withhold um, health, good health from you. And this is the truth. Shall we pray? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for choosing us. 
We thank you for not giving up on us. We thank you for preferring us. We thank you that you call us your children. And most importantly, we thank you that we are qualified to call you our Father. We thank you for the person of Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. We thank you for the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit that has come to point us to consolidate this truth in us. Father, we pray for grace to submit to this truth. We pray for help to be doers of your word. And we pray for a genuine desire like that of Jesus when he said, my meat is to do the will of him who has sent me and to accomplish it. May this be our meat. May this be our satisfaction. And may this be the reason why we are eager to see another day. In the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. 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 God bless you, wonderful people, for yet again agreeing to <laughs> be a part of this thing. We hope the conversation was an enlightening one. Stick with us and keep listening to us as we delve deeper into the subject of exiting our echo chamber and truly learning how to be in the world, but not of the world, in the subsequent episodes. Thank you.